You may have noticed uh, on our bulletin this morning this verse, which is uh, very relevant this 4th of July, from 2 Chronicles chapter 7. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. We need God as a country. We need to call upon God at this very important time uh, in history. And uh, personally, uh, I watch so, so much news that I get uh, discouraged. I even catch myself getting worried. And I need to stop. And I need to pray and realize that God is great. And God is good. And God is faithful. And I still believe that God is the answer to the greatest problems that our nation faces. Uh, Wendell Owens wrote a special poem that uh, I thought was very relevant uh, for 4th of July, and I asked him to come and share it with you. And so, Wendell, come on up here and uh, share this, as uh, it's important for us to take a moment to think about uh, our nation. Well, just like Dan, I not only get uh, concerned and worried, I get absolutely upset. So I'm not as, I'm not as spiritual, I guess. <clears throat> Ronald Reagan once said, if we forget that we're one nation under God, we will be a nation gone under. That holds true today. And I think all of us see how tolerance and political correctness is absolutely killing our country. And as Dan said, it's only in God and God alone that this nation will be restored. And that was that Second Chronicles. Anyway, I wrote a poem, and this was 4th of July, 2009. And it's called, In God We Still Trust. Our founding fathers declared by decree one nation under God that all the world see a republic of freedom for every man with liberty and justice for which we stand. Freedom of speech to assemble, to vote, the right to bear arms and worship, they wrote. A bill of rights for every woman and man signed by our Congress as the law of the land. Within God, our motto, we flourished and grew. We were feared by the world, for all of them knew where freedom was threatened. We came in like a flood and liberated many with our patriots' blood. But over the years, we've become liberal and dim. We've tolerated lust and every evil and sin. Madeline Murray O'Hare and the ACLU. We're not the same country our forefathers knew. Where now is that doctrine, that pledge, that decree that honors our God that once made us free? No prayers in our school, 
graduations or such. America's been crippled by tolerance's touch. Sam Adams once wrote, we must enthrone God again for our nation to survive the way it began. Yet God can restore us from the smoke and the dust if indeed we will pray in God we still trust. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Linda. Amen. And shall we pray for our country? Oh God, we humble ourselves before you as uh, one congregation in one city in this great country, but knowing that many other Christians and many other congregations are also praying this hour for our nation. God, you have always been the hope of our nation. You always will be. And you are the only hope for our nation. Lord, we ask you to be merciful unto us as a people. We ask, O oh God, that you would restore the integrity of this land. We ask, O oh God, that you would sustain freedom. We ask, O oh God, that you would grant peace. We ask, O oh God, that you would make provision for this great land, Lord, so many needy people, O oh God. Lord, most of all, though, Lord, we ask for spiritual revival, for renewal. And Lord, may it begin in your house with your people as the church takes hold of your promises and prays and intercedes and leads the way to a great spiritual revival. Help us to be part of that, O oh God. Help us to pray and do our part right here in our situation, our circumstances, in this church, in the community, on the job, in our schools, O oh God, in our neighborhoods. Help us to be, Lord, shining lights as you are the light, O oh God, and you shine through us that all men may come to know you. Help us, O oh God. Lord, steady our hearts. Help us, O oh God, to have faith Help us to trust you. Help us to lean on you as never before because we truly believe that you can heal our land. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, when I pray, when I consider what God's done, I feel better as uh, I know God gives us uh, hope for this nation. And uh, God will not abandon our nation and his promises, even though we abandon him. How important it is. Well, turn with me to Revelation, the second chapter. And as uh, we have been involved in a study of what happens when Jesus shows up, and we've been studying this really since Easter, thinking about the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And here I want you to see the great, the greatest of all post-resurrection appearances, which has not yet occurred when Jesus comes back to planet Earth in all of his glory, and he says, here I am, <laughs> here I am. And the whole world must face him, and the whole world will know him either as Savior or as Judge. And there's nothing in between in that final appearing before his judgment seat.
we talk about Jesus appearing and we realize that someday every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I trust that there comes a, a comfort and a reassurance in your heart regarding the troubling circumstances of these last days. You know, I'm, it's, just, uh, it's just a joy to recall uh, Billy Graham's words as he's asked about, uh, you know, the end times and his concerns. And he says, well, ultimately, <clears throat> I'm not worried because I've read the book and I know how it ends. And ultimately, <laughs> that is the hope and the peace and the comfort of every Christian. Larry King and I were talking this morning about just all of the confusion over the end time prophecy. And some people read the book of Revelation, forgive me, but they, they, they read the book of Revelation like it's uh, you know, some kind of a, of, a, of a book to tell the future. Like they want to foresee and they want to know and they miss the central meaning of the book of Revelation, which is what? Jesus, Jesus has promised us that he's coming, he's coming, and he's going to put an end to all evil and he's going to save all people who believe in him. Do you want to know what Revelation is about? It's simply about God's warning and God's promise. God's warning that we better, we better take responsibility for the truth that we know and repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus Christ or face judgment and his promise to keep those who believe in him, those who are trusting in him, those who are in his hand for all of eternity because of his love for us. You know, I read Revelation, and it helps me get past the small stuff, the worries, the confusion, the frustration, as I realize, ultimately, he's coming back. He's coming back for all of us that have put our trust in him and how encouraged we can be. Well, one of the, uh, I think, most beautiful and wonderful scriptures in all of Revelation is found in Revelation, the third chapter, and in the uh, 20th verse. And we're going to look at the larger context, and I can tell by our time that I'm going to need more than just this Sunday to really bring the meaning of this scripture out and apply it, because it's so encouraging just to know what Jesus has promised. But uh, what we read here in Revelation chapter 3, in the 20th verse, where Jesus appears to the church at Laodicea, and in that, he's revealing his plan and his message for all of his children as he says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What happens when Jesus shows up? Well, he's going to show up in such a spectacular, unmistakable way at the end of the age. And he's telling us to be prepared for his, for his coming. But he also shows up every day in every church, every individual believer, every community of followers seeking him. He shows up. And he says, here I am. Here I am. Open the door. Open the door. Invite me in. And we realize, you know, what a humbling picture this is. How important it is for us to realize that Jesus comes to the door, but only comes so far that he doesn't force himself into our lives. But he requires that that last step be at our invitation where we make a choice. We're all familiar with the great uh, painting by Warner Salman, who was uh, a religious artist who lived from 1892 to 1968, of uh, Jesus standing at the door. This was a popular theme in Christian art. Uh, It has been through history. But he painted this picture in the 1950s that just captured the imagination of so many believers and even unbelievers as it shows Jesus standing on the porch, knocking at a door, And the light is brilliant upon him, but the door is closed. And the one thing that is so very noticeable when you see that picture is that there's no handle on the outside. The only latch is on the inside because the door must be opened by the one who's inside. How many of you know that God will never force himself on you? That the Holy Spirit is gentle Billy Graham talks about the Holy Spirit as a gentleman that only comes in at our invitation, never forces His will upon us. It's important to realize that Jesus makes everything possible through His sovereign plan and His grace for us to be saved, to have relationship with Him. But there is one thing He will not do, and that is He will not force us against our will to invite him in or to have fellowship with him. Have you ever said no to Jesus or just avoided that invitation? Perhaps put it off a little while. God was speaking to your heart about this or that and you thought, well, that sounds good, but maybe tomorrow, maybe next time. I have some things that are important to attend to. Or there's things I would like to better prepare before I fully invite Jesus in to be my Savior and my Lord. We realize that Jesus is very patient. That Jesus and his great love for us enables him to continue to wait and to pursue us and 
and give us opportunity after opportunity to say yes and to invite him in. But we realize that uh, the human will is a very strong and forceful thing. Do you ever just think about the human will? Are you ever concerned about the power of the human will to say no to God? You know, sometimes we fail to take responsibility realizing that God leaves a certain choice to us that only we can make. No one can make it for us. I don't want that much responsibility. How about you? I can remember when I was young in my faith and I would pray this kind of a prayer. Oh God, just fix my life once and for all so I'll never have to ask again. That's the way we'd like it to work. Let's have that prayer at the end of the service today, okay? Just come forward. We'll pray one more time, and you'll be fixed for the rest of your life. No, he's every day, every hour, every situation, he wants us to be yielded. He wants us to be seeking. He wants us to be open. And uh, if we resist, if we hold back, if we hesitate, if we linger, we have a way of spiritually spiritually drifting and a greater and greater distance occurs. Another thing that I noticed about uh, Solomon's painting as I studied it this week is, you know, as you look at the door, the door is overgrown by vegetation from underneath and from overhead as if it has not been opened for quite some time. Is it possible that that door becomes overgrown? with the cares of this life, with distractions, with other commitments, with relationships which aren't right, with the plans we have, our ambition to be satisfied in this world in other ways? Absolutely. How important it is for us to realize that uh, that door needs to be open and stay open. (laughs) At our choice, at our invitation, as we want to have continuing fellowship with God. Now, I want you to notice this message to the church at Laodicea that begins in verse 14. And uh, realize this, that as the book of Revelation is a gift to the church that we might see God's purpose for us, His warning regarding His ultimate judgment and His promise to those who put their trust in him. And here, here, as the angel of the church writes to Laodicea, we read these words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. As Jesus introduces himself in all of his authority as ruler and creator, he says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot, I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, but you have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and you have good clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness 
and salve to put in your eyes so that you can see. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Quite an introduction to his statement. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If any man will let me in, I will come in and I will eat with him. You know, there's much known about uh, this city of Laodicea that it was a great wealthy city, very prestigious. It was rich in banking, had a well-known wool factory and a medical school and uh, a place where ISAV was manufactured and distributed throughout all of the area and to other nations as they were famous for their prosperity. And it seems that many of the Christians who lived there were caught up in the prosperity of the city and in the self-sufficiency of having all of their needs met. And Jesus shows up and says, here I am. You think that you're rich, but you're poor, you're pitiful, (laughs) and you're naked. How many of you know that sometimes that our our prosperity, our success can create for us an illusion of well-being that only God can penetrate as He shows us how needy we really are. Dwight L. Moody used to say when I preached the gospel, he said, I just feel like I'm one beggar showing another beggar where to find the bread. (laughs) That's how we all stand before God. None of us are rich. None of us are powerful. None of us are important or influential before God. But we all come as needy beggars seeking His grace and His salvation. And so He shows up and He reveals their real spiritual condition. Now I want you to see this passage. And these four points is just an outline of how Jesus came and dealt with that church and how God deals with us as a church and deals with us individually. First, we see in verse 14 that Jesus actually shows up as he promised. He shows up. Jesus shows up. As so many people think that somehow they can avoid God. How many of you know people who think that Jesus only shows up for people who believe in him? People who have chosen this particular religion. We're living in this postmodern age where it's not what you believe, but the sincerity of your belief that is valued by our society. And we hear people say all the time, oh, that's okay for you Christians. But guess what? If God really created this universe, and I believe he did, and Jesus is his only son, all men, all women, of every nation, every background, must eventually face him and deal with the claims of Jesus Christ. As he said, I am the door, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so he shows up and reveals himself. Number two, Jesus, as he shows up, he reveals that he really knows us. (laughs) He knows all that we've done. Now think about this. All that we have ever done in our lives. All that we have said. All that we have thought about. All of our attitudes. 
all of our emotions, all of our behavior. He knows everything there is to know about us. And he has the right and the responsibility to bring his judgment upon our lives. How many of you have a few things that you're glad God has forgotten through the blood of Jesus Christ? It says that he casts our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Our sins are as far as the east is from the west. Well, guess what? Only those things that are under the blood of Jesus Christ escape the ultimate judgment. And so, you know, when Jesus shows up to bring judgment in our lives, that which has been forgiven, that which has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ is forgotten. It's gone, just as if it never happened. And what assurance we have that uh, he saves us. He saves us from our sins. But when he says, I know you, (laughs) he says, I know everything about you. We see the third thing where Jesus not only knows us, but it says that he comes to rebuke and correct us so jesus corrects us and here there's a reference to uh, hebrews chapter 12 where it says who a father loves he corrects aren't you glad that god doesn't just know what we've done wrong but he corrects us that he brings hope as we realize that as we submit to him as we accept his way as we let him deal with our lives He corrects us in a very important and powerful way. And so Jesus brings that ministry of correction to our lives. And then we see the fourth thing that Jesus does in verse 20, which is that he then invites us to a closer relationship with him. But he leaves the final invitation up to us to invite him in to be Savior and Lord. I'll never forget a little uh, track that we used a lot back in the 70s that was uh, published by uh, Campus Crusade, The Four Spiritual Laws. How many of you are familiar with that track? What a powerful tool it was. And I'll never forget, I loved to get to the end of the book because it showed the circle of life when I'm at the throne and everything is out of order. You remember that circle? And then when you accept Jesus Christ and ask him to be on the throne of your life, how he puts everything in order as we submit to him. The profound truth of that is so important for every believer. And guess what? We don't just need to do that one time to get our lives fixed. But every day we need to invite Jesus onto the throne of our lives that we would listen to his voice. that we would heed his will, that we would submit to his purpose. Can I just ask, do you want to be happy and fulfilled? The greatest possible way to be happy and to be fulfilled is not get what you want, but ask Jesus to take charge of your life. And he can put everything in order, bring into harmony You experience his peace and fulfillment the way he originally planned. And so that's what the relationship is truly, truly about. Wow. 
You know, we often quote this verse thinking that it's just for new believers who need to accept Jesus Christ for the first time. But really the context, it's a message to the church. There's an application here for the unbeliever, of course, to invite Jesus into their heart. But the message is to the church and to believers who somehow, can I just say it, somehow have kind of pushed Jesus out of the center place in their lives. And they put him in a place where he can only wait to be invited back in to be in charge. You know, it's a glorious thing when a new believer prays and asks Jesus into their heart. You know, one of the things I really enjoy doing when I'm praying for someone, an unbeliever, to become a Christian. And I'll share scripture with them about God's promises for forgiveness and Jesus, the importance of accepting him as personal savior. And then I'll pray with them to ask Jesus into their heart. And then I ask them this question, which is so important as we realize that, you know, this is a real transformation, a real experience, but I'll ask them this question. I'll say, you know, we just prayed that Jesus Christ would come into your heart. Where is he? And you'll see the sparkle in their eyes. They'll say, in my heart. And you realize in that moment, a miracle has occurred. Can I just say that it's so... It's so, uh, it's so saddening to see so many Christians allow other things to creep into their lives, to push Jesus out of that place of the most central, important thing in their life. Not that they lose their salvation. I'm not going there this morning. But I'm saying that this image of Jesus waiting to be reinvited to be on the throne, that's troubling, isn't it? We don't want to put Jesus in that position. But we can through our own selfishness. What's the proper response to uh, what Jesus is saying? It's to repent. To ask him in a fresh and new way. To, to take that place of importance and leadership in our life. And we need to be spiritual renewed, spiritually renewed as we realize that, you know, as Jesus showed up in those early post-resurrection appearances recorded in the book of Acts and referred to in the epistles, and then he's ultimately going to show up at the end of the age to bring his judgment and promise, that every day he shows up in our lives wanting us to put him first. And we have the power to say no. We need to repent of that. We need to stop allowing things and people and ambitions and cares of this life crowding to crowd him out and say, Oh Lord, oh Lord, you are first. You are number one. I want to live with you and have fellowship with you. And he graciously, he graciously responds to that invitation and renews our relationship with him. Lord, help us this morning. Lord, you are here at our church. Lord, you showed up. You're here in each of our lives. Lord, you showed up, and you're saying, Lord, that you have a, Lord, that you have a plan for us, and you have a purpose. And if we've strayed from that, oh God, if we've gotten distracted, if 
we've let other things crowd in, help us, O God, to repent this morning. Help us, O God, to invite you. Lord, invite you into the most important place in our lives, O God, and renew our fellowship with you. We thank you for this opportunity that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand. Let's sing this song together. Then we'll have one more prayer and we'll be dismissed. Those that want to come up and have prayer are invited to do so, especially if you don't know Jesus Christ this morning as your Savior. But let's uh, just ask God to seal in our hearts this experience together as we worship Him and respond to His Word. just looking up to the Lord and as we realize his patience and his love and his desire for a more intimate relationship just to look up and say yes Lord yes yes I give up oh God my cares and my concerns and my priorities that conflict oh God with your lordship and Lord I need your renewal I need to be forgiven and I need to be helped to see what I need to see and help me oh God Help me to live, Lord, more faithfully for you, even as you show me this opportunity this morning, O God. And Lord, you hear our prayers. You know our hearts, O God. And we ask you, O God, to just reveal yourself, O God, to every heart, every deed, O God. Lord, as you dismiss us this morning, Lord, we ask you, O God, to help us to remember, O God, what we've heard in such a way, O God, that we would really expect to be involved more with you, O oh God. Help us to appreciate the opportunity, O oh God, for communion. Help us, O oh God, to appreciate prayer and of your word and a fellowship with believers. Realize, O oh God, that you've called us to a way of life, O oh God. Not just a set of beliefs and to church membership, but, Lord, to a way of life which is true, abundant life. Thank you for this, Lord. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, we pray especially, O oh God, for them, that they wouldn't leave this building this morning until they're sure, O oh God. 
And Lord, we want to pray for them and minister to them so they can have assurance of salvation this morning, oh God. And Lord, we just pray for anyone that has needs this morning, Lord, and help us to be sensitive and help us to pray for one another, oh God, before we go. So Lord, we just commit ourselves to you. We thank you for this time together. And we ask you to dismiss us with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Our God, see with me how great is our God. All will see how great, great is our God. Our God, all will see.